The following resource is from lmpc.org and we're delighted to provide it freely to all. If you feel led to give towards the ministry of Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, we welcome you to do so at lmpc.org slash give. A reading from Luke chapter 8 verses 26 through 39. Then they sailed to the country of the Gersenes, which was the opposite of Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me for he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it to the, in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gersenes asked him to depart from them, and they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with them, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. What a remarkable scene you just heard. Could you imagine being one of the disciples in that boat? You've just come through an awful storm and saw him calm the winds and the waves only to land on the shore with this man immediately running and screaming at you. You may choose to paddle fast and away if you were in that boat. Jesus shows up on a shore and does an amazing work and this is a passage of great hope for us all for the transformation that Jesus brings by his power. And let's pray that he'll do that this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for your Holy Spirit's inspiration of Luke to write and record this event so that here in 2022, we might be shaped by it. And we would ask that your Holy Spirit, through your word, would do good work in us, that our hearts, as we've heard in Luke 8, would be fertile soil on which this word would land 
We recognize only your spirit can make our heart ready to receive the word of God, so we ask for that. And we pray that we would discern our response to Jesus as we see three responses to him this morning. And we pray this in your name. Amen. William Gurnall is the author of The Christian in Complete Armor, three volumes, an incredible read. Um, It's been said to be by many theologians the most important read after the Bible, where he talks about the battle, the spiritual war that we as followers of Christ are in. And he encourages in that book believers to be assured that God is watching Satan's every move and he will not let him have the final victory. And he encourages us in this way when he writes, when God says stay, Satan must stand like a dog by the table while the saints feast on God's comfort. He does not dare to snatch even a tidbit, for the master's eye is always upon him. Our master's eye is in full control, and the failure and doom of evil is sure. We come with confidence of that as we look at this text where Jesus reveals his liberating power. He's already Uh, calmed a raging sea and now he's going to demonstrate his liberating power by calming a tormented soul and we will be forced to consider what is our response to the liberating power of Jesus over nature and over evil how do we respond to Jesus You see, we've seen Jesus speaks and nature listens and obeys. Jesus speaks and demons listen and submit. And so when Jesus speaks, how should we respond today? In this text, we're going to see three responses. First, the demon's submissive response to Jesus' liberating power. Verse 26, it says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee, they travel to the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, a majority Gentile population, a region known as the Decapolis, which I'm going to get to go see with my own eyes in June as I have a trip to the Holy Land with my oldest son. And to see this very place, this, this real spot where their boat came ashore. As their boat sets ashore there, they have moved from uneasy seas to an unclean land, from seemingly untamable wind to a seemingly untamable human being who comes at them screaming, the text says. They land on the shore of a place that is unclean, a dirty, desperate place. Think about it related to Jewish cleanliness laws. They land in a land of pigs. They land in a place where evil spirits are. They land among the dead, among the tombs, and they are landing in a Gentile region. This is Jesus landing on the shore of the most desperate, dirty place. Think about the least healthy, most anti-Christian, 
most aggressively hostile environment to Christianity you could possibly go to. And Jesus and his disciples just landed on that shore. And what we learned from the outset, just with the intent of Jesus' movement across the sea to this place, is very simply this. There is no place too dark. There is no place too desperate. There is no one too dark, no one too desperate, where Jesus will not gladly dock his boat to deliver you right away. That's good news. There's bad news because evil is doing destruction. As we see, we're going to see the demon's submissive response, but first you have to see the destruction it is doing. Verse 27, when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes. And he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. He's further described in verse 29. For many a time it had seized him, meaning the spirit. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demons into the desert. They land in this unclean place. And immediately... An unclothed, screaming man is coming at Jesus. Coming from the tombs where he resides. This is a picture of a living dead man. He is screaming towards them. His life is shackled to death and despair. He is uncontrollable. He is no match for anyone. No one can subdue him. Surely he's a public nuisance. Parents would say, please don't go to the tombs. You know, naked Neil's there. I don't know. I don't know if his name's Neil, but uh, Alistair Begg gave him that name, and I thought it was really funny. But surely, no, don't stay away from that guy. I mean, this is an awful scene for anyone to see. He would cut himself, as Mark says, with stones. He's naked and bloodied and desperate. And every time they chained him, he would break the bonds. No one could subdue him. His name is Legion. A Roman legion had 6,000 soldiers. And when a Roman legion arrived in your town, it was game over. Well, a legion of demons has visited this man inside of him, and it seems as if it is game over. He is hopelessly isolated among the dead left to die. That's the picture. Tertullian said, the glory of God is man fully alive. Well, this man is a picture of the destruction of evil to dehumanize and deaden us. He's the opposite of fully alive. And Jesus lands on his shore. Don't miss that. Now, let me connect it to us before we look at the demon's response. Though not all of us are demon-possessed, perhaps none of us, I don't know, Every single one of us is a slave to evil left to ourself. Every single one of us is bound to sin. 
Every single one of us left to ourselves without Jesus will ultimately be bent towards self-destruction. That is true. Ephesians tells us in chapter 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed, listen, the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Maybe more than we care to admit, left to ourselves, we are this man. Without Jesus, we are living, dead, walking. Alexander Solzhenitsyn said this, if only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them, if only... But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And after all, who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? The fight's real. The reality of our own darkness left to ourselves is real and there'll be a fight much like this evil one. Look at this response, the demon's submissive response and his ultimate demise in verse 28. It says, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, now listen to this closely, what have you to do with me? Literally, it's what is it between me and you? What brought you here? And then he acknowledges Jesus, son of the most high God. He is fully aware of the one he is dealing with. What he is displaying is knowledge, but it is not saving faith. Notice in this text the demons will beg of Jesus. It says it right here, I beg you. And at the end, the transformed man would beg Jesus. But the difference in the begging is the demons beg out of doom and the man begs out of deliverance. And the demon's submissive response is out of doom. He knows who he is dealing with. And he says, I beg you. He has begged no one. He has not been a match for anyone. Before Jesus, though, he knows he is utterly powerless. Though no one can subdue him in chains, he knows Jesus can and Jesus will. And so despite the numbers of a Roman legion of demons and despite their power, do you see their response? I beg you. Full submissive response to the king of heaven on the earth. And he begs, do not torment me. Is it a sense that they are begging not to go into the abyss for which they will surely come? We know that in verse 31. They begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. They beg him, don't send us yet to our final destiny. And Jesus instead decides that he would say, okay, 
And for good reason, as we'll see in a minute, he sent them into the pigs. See, do you see evil's response? That which was not able to be subdued by anyone, that which was not able to be controlled, surrenders to Jesus as the matchless power and says, I beg you, please, would you consider this? Jesus, son of the most high. Now look at evil's demise in verse 29. I love what Luke does here. If you read it in context of the whole, verse 27, let's back up to there. When Jesus had stepped on on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. And for a long time, he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Jesus has been dealing with this man the minute his feet landed on shore, putting him in his right place, in his right posture, speaking authoritatively to him, and then they have the conversation. Jesus has been in full control from the moment he got off the boat. I love that Luke says, for he had been commanding the unclean spirit. Now, what shows you that he's commanding. Remember, Luke 8 has been talking to us about the power of what? the word of God to calm the winds and the waves, the power of the seed and the sower. And here he gets off in the most desperate, dark situation and just starts speaking with power. No incantation, no ritual, no hocus pocus, no appealing to another authority, just his word alone. And it goes on to say, Jesus then asked in verse 30, what is your name? And he said, legion. For many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. (laughs) Again. Could you imagine being on that hillside? (laughs) And suddenly this unclothed, uncontrollable man has this legion of demons go from him to 2,000 pigs that simultaneously run downhill and drown in the lake. You would be very quickly asking, who has come ashore? (laughs) Who is this man? Now, why take out the pigs? As a barbecue lover, I think it's a a right question. Why destroy that much good barbecue, right? But Jesus is not thinking about that. He's making clear a few things. He's making clear first the destructive reality of evil so that everyone standing there would watch and say, when evil comes to work within you, this is its result, destruction and death. It's very clear. Just look at the pigs. Secondly, he did it to reveal the hearts of the people. What do I mean? We'll see it in a minute. In that region, the pig industry, being a Gentile region, was a huge industry. So he strikes right at the heart of their love, their security, and their economy to see if they will care more about a human being transformed 
than economic loss of pigs. He's seeking to reveal their heart. But here's what he's also doing. He is revealing that there is a cost for evil to be destroyed. Here it's the pigs. At the climax of the story, it will be the cross. At the climax of Jesus' life, Jesus will himself end up naked, isolated, outside the town, among the tombs. He will shout incomprehensible things as he is torn apart on the cross by the standard Roman torture. He will be cut with small stones in the Roman lash. Why? Because destroying evil always costs. And he takes up our punishment, takes up the the very punishment of this particular man on the cross. And healing and hope comes as Jesus shares the plight of his people and he lets the enemy do its worst to him so that he might give the best to us. That's why the pigs... I want to show you, Jesus is saying, they're responsive to me and my power, but to destroy evil requires the payment of cost. Here are the pigs, fully and later the cross. Now, look at the people's fearful response to Jesus' liberating power in verses 34 through 37. In verse 34, when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. You know the herdsmen of the pigs. They ran back to tell their owners, we've just had a huge loss in the business. This man came up in a boat and destroyed 2,000 of our pigs. The owners likely would not have been real happy about that. What'd you do? Why didn't you get involved in that? How could you have such a loss for our business? And, And then you go on to read verse 35, then the People went out to see what had happened as rumor came among the owners of the loss, and they came to Jesus. We're going to look at this in a second, but they found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. They go from telling to trembling. Who is this? that has come into our land. I don't know the full nature of their fear. Perhaps they think, if he did this to him, what might he do to me? Perhaps they fear that if he doesn't go away and two or three more of these exorcisms happen, the whole economy's gonna collapse. They, whatever the case, Jesus appears to them to be a disturber. And they want him to depart. And so you see in verse 37, then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. Please hear the people's fearful response to Jesus. And maybe your response to Jesus this morning, get away from me. I know you think, well, I would never have that response. I mean, I came to church this morning. 
You can come to church and want nothing to do with Jesus. And maybe your response of your heart is, go away. Leave my land. Stop messing with me. If that is your response, your final reality will look far more like the pigs drowning in the sea. That is not the response that would lead to this man begging with demons possessed at Jesus' feet to suddenly being clothed and in his right mind at the same feet. So where are we saying to, to Jesus, leave me alone. You know where we're most likely to say that? Is when he comes after our idols. We don't lay them down real easily. We fight. Jesus is messing with the idols of the Decapolis, their security and their economy. And their response to him is, get out of here. Please take heart. Take note. What are your idols? And how do you respond to Jesus when he threatens to take them away? Is it the response we'll see of the transformed man? Can I go with you? Or is it to Jesus? Go away. As we consider the demon's response and the people's response, we must consider our own. And then you see the transformed man's eager response to Jesus' liberating power. Again, in verse 35, look at the transformation. They found this man sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. Instead of being driven by evil, as the text earlier said, he's sitting at Jesus' feet. Instead of being naked, he's clothed. Instead of being among the dead, he's living. Instead of being chained and guarded, he's free. What a picture of our salvation. Our transformation that Jesus comes to make people new. And I never can read this text without thinking of that scene that Tolkien paints in the classic conflict between good and evil in mythical Middle Earth. And in the middle of that film, the evil wizard Saruman has spellbound Theoden, king of Rowan. Perhaps you remember that scene. He sits on his throne, pale and decrepit, with evil whispering in his ear, and Gandalf, the good wizard, arrives. And while Theodon's evil advisors whisper into his ear, Gandalf says, be silent. Keep your forked tongue behind your teeth. And then he says this wonderful phrase, Theoden, too long. Have you sat in the shadows? I release you from the spell. Be gone. And King Theoden is released and his face regains color and youth and he's fully himself again. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here with this man. And that's what Jesus does with us born in Adam, slaves to sin, when we come to him in faith. Those with faith, we are all the transformed man. And we should be humble because we know what it's like to be the one begging and shackled with sin. 
But no matter how messed up you are this morning, no matter how deeply enslaved to sin you are this morning, no matter how bad your problems, I come to tell you this morning, Jesus can set you free. He can bring to you clarity of mind where there was disturbance. He can bring to you clothing of righteousness where there was nakedness in your sin. Jesus loves going to dark places and setting desperate people free. That's what he does. So would you, like the man, say this in verse 39. Verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, not go away. Can I go with you? I want you, Jesus. He begged to be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, and notice, he's about to tell him not to be quiet, which is what he's done to people that are in the Jewish regions. He's about to say this, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Do you realize the man we met at the beginning of this passage, screaming, naked, and bound, becomes the first Gentile missionary? That's what Jesus does. That's how Jesus transforms people. This one becomes the first Gentile missionary. Go back into the region of the Decapolis, the dark, desperate region there, and notice what he says. Tell how much God has done for you. And I love what Luke does when he writes this. Tell how much God has done for you. Then watch what he says. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. I thought Jesus said, tell him how much God had done for him. And he went and told him how much Jesus had done for him. Absolutely. Jesus is God in flesh. Son of the most high God. And here's the fact, the application. Conversion always involves a calling to tell. Transformation always involves the mission of proclamation. And perhaps if we're not telling, and perhaps if we're not proclaiming, we have not seen the wonder of the transformation of Jesus in our lives. This man saw it, and went and told. I close with this. I, as I read this, I realized that God has allowed me to get to know a real living man like this. His name is Markel Moore. He's become a friend. Markel and his wife Diane have started a ministry called Vision of Mercy where they feed and take care of the poor and the homeless. And we've been able to come alongside Markel. But we've seen Markel on the other side, sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed in his right mind, eager to tell. But had we seen him underneath bridges in Chattanooga for 18 years, a homeless man addicted to crack cocaine, we wouldn't recognize the man who is today. What happened to Markel? Somebody came by. And connected him with the house of refuge. And he plugged into the house of refuge. And he had his life changed. And he met Jesus. And he got sober. And he got involved with the church of the firstborn. And he became a deacon. And now he's one of their preaching pastors. And if you're with him, he'll say, remember the poor. Remember the poor. 
from 18 years of homelessness and addiction to crack cocaine to clothe in his right mind, bringing the kingdom of God to bear on this earth. If he can do it for Markel, he can do it for any of us in this room. Come to him and say, can I go with you, Jesus? Let's pray. Father, we are in awe of your transforming work And yet sometimes it seems we are more in awe of how stuck we are, more enamored with how hopeless and impossible our situation is. But, oh God, we have encountered you this morning in your word. Help us to respond aright to you. There's no one like you. We long to have your transformation visit our lives that then we would go and proclaim all that Jesus has done for us. And we pray this in your name. Amen.